Hey, well, I want to welcome all of you to our Good Friday service. Uh, my name is John. I'm glad you're here. I'm not used to spinning in circles, so if I get dizzy, you can bear with me. Uh, this will be a new experience for me. Um, but anyway, glad you're here. A couple of announcements before we get into um, some scripture and talking about um, things tonight here. First of all, I want to let you know about our Easter service. We are going to have an Easter gathering this Sunday, 9.30, not in here, in our auditorium. It's over there. And uh, come wearing your bright colors. We're going to celebrate the best news ever, which we're kind of starting in on tonight. Uh, so um, happy for you to join that. Now, details for tonight. We got a lot of the parents and kids in here. Glad you're here, kids. Sometimes the preacher's kind of boring. And if that happens, we got, <laughs> we got a solution for you. If it's kind of hard to stay quiet, uh, we've got the nursery open. It's just down the hall. There's no volunteers in there, but parents, if you feel like, eh, this is getting a little challenging, feel free to go there and you can utilize that. Um, we are going to do a couple unique things here tonight. We're, we're going to uh, take uh, communion later, but, but we're also going to end the service very differently than normal. We kind of did this last year. And uh, after the last song, we're going to read a scripture, and then it's going to feel like the service just ended abruptly. And if it feels like that, that's what it's supposed to feel like. Everything's going perfectly. And our goal is to end the night with a, a time to just kind of contemplate the things we've thought about, to feel the gravity of the death of Jesus. And so at the end, there won't be a dismissal. I won't come up and be like, okay, everybody go. It'll, we'll just leave it hanging. And then you can stay in here as long as you like to think, to meditate, to pray. Um, and then once you're ready to go immediately or otherwise, then we encourage you to leave quietly, maybe even silently to keep this as a quiet space. I know you want to talk to the person next to you so you can talk outside, but just to kind of keep this moment as something kind of um, uh, meaningful and, and thoughtful. So thanks for helping us do something a little bit unique here tonight. Um, now I want to, um, I want to invite you to, to take a journey with me, and I want you to imagine here we are together in this room. We purposely put ourselves in a circle. And I want you to picture that we are the disciples on that Friday night after Jesus has been crucified. We are surprised. We weren't expecting this. The doors are locked. We're afraid. Maybe somebody's going to come for us. And so we're looking around the room trying to figure out how did this happen? The Messiah is dead. And I want you to join me on a journey as we recall together across the room the different events that happened in the past 24 hours. Everything that started normal and then went surprising to surprising to surprising. That's what we're going to do tonight, and I'm going to actually use the help of a few people in the audience. I've asked a few people to be some scripture readers because I want it to feel like we're in that room and we're reflecting on that last day as not just me as the person in the center speaks, but various people say, well, I remember, well, it all started with that last supper a day ago. That's when things started going weird. And so we're going to have various readers um, do that. I'll comment on it. And then our goal is to see the surprise of all the events of Good Friday and see the surprise that Jesus has for us. Sound good. Are you guys ready to go with me on that journey? So how about I say a prayer and then I'm going to have our first scripture reader uh, stand up and read our first event. So join me in prayer. King Jesus, we come here tonight because we believe that you are indeed the king of the universe and you are the lamb of God who is slain for us. Help us tonight to dial in regardless of what kind of day we've had. You are the most important. This is the most important thing we can be hearing right now. So help us to put ourselves in the shoes of the disciples and to freshly remember the most surprising news and the most amazing news ever. We all pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Let's start with our first reading. And on the first day of unleavened bread... When they had sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, 
Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him, and wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, The teacher says, Where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. There, prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came to the upper room with the twelve. And as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and say to him, one after another, is it I? He said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of the disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into Judas. Jesus said to him, What you are going to do, do quickly. Now no one at the table knew why Jesus said this to Judas. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, Judas immediately went out, and it was night. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given it thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. After each event, I'm going to maybe try to draw out things that are surprising, things that would have surprised the disciples in ways that that Jesus surprises us. And so the disciples are surprised that one of the 12 is going to betray Jesus. It was not as if they said, it's got to be Judas, that sinister guy who's always cackling and doing evil stuff. They were genuinely surprised in the, in the sense where they said, each one of them, Lord, is it I? Judas himself says it as well. They're surprised that one of them is to betray Jesus, but... Jesus isn't surprised. He is the one that announces that a betrayal is going to happen. He's the one who identifies who it is in the crowd. And so Jesus is not surprised. He he calls it out. He invites and says that it was Judas who is going to betray him. And furthermore, he says, Judas, what you're going to do, do quickly. Jesus is not surprised. The disciples were, were surprised, but not Jesus. But there was another thing that was surprising from what Paul read, and it was the Passover meal. The Passover meal was a celebration of the miraculous exodus of God's people from Egypt some 1,400 years earlier. And during that meal, the people of God would remember all the miraculous things God did. There were 12, or I'm sorry, there were 10 plagues that he gave against the Egyptian people. Uh, including blood and frogs and darkness. And finally, the last one, the death of the firstborn. The disciples are surprised when Jesus goes off script in the Passover, a very structured meal. And he takes things that have meaning from 1,400 years ago, and he starts to apply them to himself. He lifts up this bread, which was the bread of affliction for the people in Egypt. And he said, he took the bread, he broke it, he had blessed it, and he said, this bread is my body broken for you. 
And then he took the cup, the cup of wine. They would actually drink multiple cups of wine. And instead of pointing back to something in Egypt, he points to himself. And he says, this is the cup of the covenant for the forgiveness of many. The disciples are surprised and they likely don't understand that Jesus is actually making a very clear explanation about what he was about to do through his suffering and through his death. Something that maybe we understand now, but they didn't understand then. Jesus was trying to make something very clear. You see, back in Egypt, when they celebrated this holiday, they would slaughter a lamb, they would eat it, but they would take the blood and they would put it up on the doorposts of their house. You remember the last plague, the 10th plague. It was the death of the firstborn. And so God would come and he would destroy the firstborn in each family unless if he saw a sign. The sign was the blood of the lamb on the wood post outside. And so Jesus was, had that background in mind and he was foreshadowing that he, the lamb of God, his blood would be put onto wood posts outside of the city as he was crucified to offer forgiveness to he to be the firstborn that would die for others. And so Jesus surprises us in this Passover. He identifies as betrayer and he brings new meaning to the Passover meal. Now let's recall what happens next. Let's have our next reader remind us of what happened following. This will be Glenn, whoever Glenn is. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will scatter. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter answered him, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you this very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter said to him, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And the disciples said the same. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd of swords and clubs, and the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The, the one I will kiss is the man seize him. And, they came up, and he came up to Jesus, and at once said, Greetings, Rabbi, and he kissed him. Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? Friend, do what you came to do. Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who were there with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think I cannot appeal to my father, and he will at once send me more than twelve legions of angels? But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled, that it must be so? And at that hour, Jesus said to the crowds, Have you come as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I sat in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But all this has taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples left him and fled. We're surprised in this account, first of all, by the way this betrayal is going to take place. It's in the garden, and Judas, who was one of the 12 who had blended in for years as a lover of Jesus, a follower of him, 
betrays him in the most ironic of possible ways. Coming up and showing a greeting you would give a friend, a, a kiss on the cheek, calling him by his respected name, teacher, rabbi. But he doesn't have respect for him. He's not showing him love. He is going to make money off of Jesus shortly. And so the disciples are still confused. They're still surprised by what's going on. But this is exactly what comes. Jesus isn't surprised. He knew this would happen. He's been preparing himself for this moment. And so he asked Judas, Judas, do you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And then surprisingly, he addresses him with the term friend. Friend, do what you came to do. Surprising besides the betrayal is what the disciples see behind Judas. Judas has come not just with a few people, but with hundreds of armed men from various different groups. They have come, ironically, to take Jesus, this peaceful teacher, this innocent teacher who deserves nothing, and they come with a whole army of men in the middle of the night. Jesus doesn't put up a fight. He's not trying to evade arrest. In fact, the disciples want to try to protect him. We know from another gospel is Peter. Peter pulls out his dagger. He's ready to do a number on these guys. He's not really good with it. He cuts off a guy's ear. And Jesus makes it clear he's not surprised by the arrest. As he says, put away the sword. Don't you guys know that I could call upon legions of angels to protect me right now? Jesus has thousands and thousands of angels at his command if he wanted them. But he doesn't call on them because he's not surprised by the arrest. Because he knows that this is one more step in his journey of suffering leading to his death for which he wants to surprise us, for which he has a great purpose. Finally, we're surprised by the disciples it wasn't just Peter, but you remember all of the disciples promised fidelity to Jesus. Jesus, we also will go with you. Whatever it takes, we will not abandon you. This is Jesus' clearest moment when he needs good friends. And not just one of them, not just a few of them, but all of them scatter. Is Jesus surprised? You guys are catching the theme. No, he's not. He said during that meal, just a couple hours before, he quoted from the prophet Zechariah. He said, they will strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. Jesus knew this would happen. This was happening according to plan, even though it was done through evil hands. And so having seen those surprises, let's recall what happens next. First, they led Jesus to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But, what if, I, but if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas the high priest. Then those who had seized Jesus led him to Caiaphas the high priest, where the scribes and the elders had gathered. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about this their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up and said, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent, and the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. 
And Jesus said, I am, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. Then they spit in his face and struck him, and some slapped him, mocking him as they beat him. They also blindfolded him and kept asking him, Prophesy to us, you Christ, who is it that struck you? And they said many other things against him, blaspheming him. It might surprise us to know that there were actually three Jewish trials that Jesus had in three Roman trials, or three phases of a Jewish trial, three phases of a Roman trial. And we just heard about the first two of Jesus' Jewish trials. Jesus is first took to a man, a house of a man named Annas. He was previously the high priest of the Jews in Jerusalem. He was no longer, but it seems that he's got power. He's got influence because they take him there first. Some people think, some commentators of the Bible think that Annas was probably in on the plans with Judas to be able to get Jesus arrested and to be able to get him executed. And so Jesus is first brought over to Annas' house. Here he has an informal trial and he is asked about what he is doing. And Jesus gives a simple answer. He's been teaching in the synagogue. He's been doing everything what he's been doing before the public. They don't like his answer. A man slaps Jesus in the mouth when he asks for witnesses, which is actually the right thing to do in a trial. They're actually not following protocol. They should have witnesses. Jesus calls for that. He's slapped in the mouth. Annas is, is done with Jesus. He's not making any progress. So he sends him to another house. It's somebody he knows. It's his son-in-law, Caiaphas, the current high priest. So Jesus arrives there and goes before another trial. This one is different. Surprisingly, Jesus doesn't say a word. They try to dredge up witnesses to accuse Jesus of various religious crimes. But their stories don't match. And Jesus keeps silent like a lamb led to the slaughter. He doesn't say a word. And so finally, Caiaphas, this is the man who, by the way, had said it would be expedient for this one man to die for all the Jews, used his priestly power and stood before Jesus and adjured him. He urged him solemnly to answer the question, are you or are you not the Messiah, the Christ of God? Jesus opens his mouth. He surprises us with what he says. Though he has been shielding his identity a bit, he's been cryptic before, now he makes it very clear. I am. But he says more. He's not only the Messiah, the long-awaited king that would rescue these people from oppression, but he says more. He says, and you will see me, you will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven. Jesus is quoting from the prophet Daniel. He's also quoting from the psalmist David about this coming son of man who more than being the Messiah is divine in nature. Jesus isn't just saying, hey, I'm, I'm not just Messiah, I'm also God. Because the son of man one day would be seated at the right hand of God himself. He would judge over a universal and eternal kingdom. The high priest, Caiaphas, is infuriated. He breaks the rules of Leviticus and he tears his priestly robes, so infuriated, and he says, is this not clear? This man is guilty of blasphemy. And so they have their charge. Jesus surprises us. He's not just Messiah, He's also the son of man. He is God himself. Let's recall what happens next, shall we? Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. 
Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest, but Peter stood outside the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of, these man's, one of this man's disciples, are you? But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. Now the servants and the officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter was also with them, standing and warming himself. So they said to him, you are also not one of his disciples, are you? And he again denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. And after an interval of about an hour still, another insisted, certainly this man was also with him, for he too is a Galilean. Certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then Peter began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. He went out and wept bitterly. When the morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. They bound him and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate, the governor. When Judas, the betrayer, saw Jesus condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. They said, what is it to us? See to it yourself. In throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed, and he went and hanged himself. But the chief priests, taking the pieces of silver, said, it is not lawful to put them into the treasury since it is blood money. So they took counsel and bought with them, with them the potter's field as a burial place for strangers. Therefore, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, saying, And they took the thirty pieces of silver, the price of him on whom a price had been set by some of the sons of Israel, and they gave them for the potter's field, as the Lord directed me. Peter's denial is surprising. It's also, like, really uncomfortable. You hear it, and you can just feel the discomfort. After Jesus was arrested, all the disciples had scattered, but it seems that John and Peter had followed at a distance and they've made it to the second trial location, the home of Caiaphas. He's got a large house overlooking the temple. He's got a big courtyard. John seems to have the inns with somebody there. So John's on the inside, and he's able to get access for Peter to come in as well. Remember, this is the same man who said, no matter what happens, I will go to my death for you. Even if I'm arrested or I have to die, I will never deny you. And so Peter makes his way in, and Peter is in stealth mode. He doesn't want anyone to know that he is a follower of Jesus. He's trying to stick close to Jesus, but he doesn't want to get hurt, because he probably could. And so while he's made it inside, a first person inside, not a follower of Jesus, points him out and says, I think you are a follower of Jesus. And Peter quickly denies it. No, 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 no. I am not. I am not with him. There's more time uncomfortably sitting there. Nothing's happening. But Jesus is inside. The trial is happening. And another person points out, boy, you certainly are. You are one of those people. You are a Jesus follower. Peter is starting to get in some hot water here. He's getting nervous, and he's going to have to raise the stakes to show that he's good. So he decides to swear. Actually, no, he says an oath. He makes an oath. He promises, I am not with him. Again, a little while later, another person points him out. He points out his accent. Surely you're a Galilean. Followers of Jesus, many of them from Galilee. And so Peter, in hot water, probably about to get hurt himself, 
raises the stakes up to the highest level, and he swears, he calls a curse upon himself to try to assure everyone that he's telling the truth. And so he says that. He swears, I do not know this man. And it's right in that moment. You can hear it. The rooster crows. Peter remembers Jesus' words, and he leaves. He runs out of the courtyard, crying, weeping bitterly, because he has just denied his very best friend. Jesus isn't surprised. He had predicted it the night before. He said, Peter, you're going to deny me. No, I'm not. I tell you, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. But Jesus also surprisingly gave words of hope to Peter while he was weeping bitterly, or maybe later he understood this, because Jesus said, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, but I prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have returned, strengthen the brothers. Jesus was foreshadowing and predicting a time when he was going to use Peter again. He implies his forgiveness. He implies his acceptance that there's still something more for him. Besides that, there were a couple other details. The third part of the Jewish trial happened where there was a quorum of enough people from the Sanhedrin, the Jewish council, that came. It was sunrise. It had to be sunrise. So they made the decision. Yes, they sent Jesus off to the Romans because they couldn't execute him. And finally, we read about Judas. Even though the disciples were surprised by Judas, Jesus wasn't. He had predicted that Judas would betray him for 30 pieces of silver. And he even quoted from a prophet, from the Zechariah. So with that, let's move on to our next section and uh, be reminded of what happened. And Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, you have said so. And the chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer so that Pilate was amazed. Then Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. But they were urgent, saying, He stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, from Galilee, even to this place. When Pilate heard this, he asked whether the man was a Galilean. And when he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod, who was himself in Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for he had long desired to see him. Because he had heard about him, and he was hoping to see some sign done by him. So he questioned him at some length, but he made no answer. The chief priests and the scribes stood by, vehemently accusing him. And Herod with his soldiers treated him with contempt and mocked him. Then arraying him in splendid clothing, he sent him back to Pilate. And Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day. For before this, they had been at enmity with each other. Now at the feast... Pilate used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people and said to them, You brought me this man as one who is misleading the people. And after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing Deserving death has been done by him. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Pilate said to them, see, I am bringing Jesus out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out. Pilate said to them, behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, I find no guilt in him. But the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement in an Aramaic, Gavatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, Away with him! Away with him! 
crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. There were three phases to Jesus' Jewish trial, and now there happens to be three phases to Jesus' Roman trial. The Jews were not capable or not permitted to execute any of their people. It had to go through the Romans, so that's why it went to Pilate. Pilate's the governor. Pilate finds Jesus not guilty of their charges. They say he's trying to lead a, a rebellion against Rome. He says, nope, he's not guilty. But then he finds out that Jesus is from Galilee. The, the ruler of Galilee happens to be in town, maybe for the Passover. His name is Herod. So Pilate, after saying he's not guilty, sends him to Herod. Jesus goes to Herod. The same thing happens. Jesus doesn't say anything. He says, all right, you didn't entertain me. You're not guilty. He sends him back to Pilate. Jesus comes to Pilate. Pilate says, hey, you guys, I said he's not guilty. Herod says he's not guilty. So I think we're done. They said, no. You got to crucify him. He said, all right. He wants to please the people. We've got a custom. You can release, I pardon one prisoner every Passover. You choose the guy. So who do you want me to pardon, Jesus or Barabbas? He thinks his plan is foolproof. They're all going to say Barabbas. Barabbas is a murderer. He's been part of an uprising against the government. He's a criminal. And they all say with one voice, Jesus, not Barabbas. And so ironically, even though Jesus has been acquitted three times, not guilty, not guilty, not guilty. And even though there's been this prisoner who is, uh, should be in prison, all of a sudden, the murderer is released and Jesus, the three times declared not guilty, is sent to be crucified and to be scourged. So I will read our next section and let's read about the final events leading to the crucifixion. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters and they gathered the whole battalion before him and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him Twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put on his own clothes and led him away to crucify him. And as they went, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry the cross. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And Jesus said, Father... Forgive them. They know not what they do. And they cast lots and divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him. This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the others rebuked him saying, Do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. 
Standing by the cross of Jesus were the mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of sour wine with a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Surprising. The darkness. It was surprising. Darkness covered the land from the sixth hour to the ninth hour. That means from noon till three. That's the brightest time of the day. Why was it dark? Well, we know it was not a solar eclipse. No, this was something supernatural. You see, a solar eclipse only occurs when there is a new moon. Passover always occurs with a full moon. So this was no solar eclipse. This was a supernatural event. The darkness was a sign of judgment. Something significant was happening. You remember the ten plagues in Egypt. The ninth one was darkness. Darkness covered the land supernaturally before the final plague, the plague of the firstborn, which the people were saved by the blood of the Lamb. And so in the darkness, God was speaking a message to people then and resounding through history. Something important is about to happen. The final plague, the death of the firstborn is about to happen. Make sure you have the blood of the Lamb Make sure his blood is on your doorpost so that you will be passed over. Surprisingly, on the cross, Jesus says words of hope. You would think he would be sharing words of futility if you were surprised, but he was not. He said words like, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do, showing the very purpose of his death. And then the words he said to that criminal next to them, he said, I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. Hopeful words indeed to a man who knew he was a sinner. Hopeful words from the cross. And finally, Jesus says the words, it is finished. The debt has been paid. It's all done. Forgiveness has been accomplished. But finally, the last surprising thing, Jesus died. His head bowed. He didn't move. There were no more words. He wasn't breathing anymore. He stayed there motionless, pinned to the tree. And with that, the disciples surprisingly trudged back to a room where they locked themselves and considered what had just happened. What just happened these last 24 hours? The disciples were surprised. We might be surprised, but Jesus has a surprise for us. He had good news that he spoke from the cross, and this is what it is. All of us, we are all like Peter. We promise we are going to stick with God till the very end. But we fail in our promises. We fail epically. All of us here, we are, we are the disciples. We promise we are going to go there to the very end. And yet, when we have to stand with Jesus before others, we scatter. All of us here, we are Barabbas. 
We are the guilty one. We deserve to be in prison. We deserve to be crucified. But Jesus took our place. Jesus, the innocent, was crucified instead of us. All of us here, we are the man beside Jesus, crucified next to him, who earlier had mocked him, but he changed his mind. And he acknowledged that Jesus was innocent. He acknowledged that he was a sinner deserving of death and that Jesus had a kingdom and he wanted to join it. The surprisingly good news of the cross is that Jesus offers a full pardon to anyone who will come to him. The good news of the cross is that Jesus will offer a full pardon of sin before God to anyone who comes to him. Like the the criminal next to him, it's very simple. He didn't do anything to earn God's forgiveness. He couldn't go do anything else. He was stuck on a cross. All he did was acknowledge he was a sinner. Jesus was innocent. And Jesus had a kingdom yet to come. And so I want to remind you of those words tonight. That's what Jesus surprises us with. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Think of the cup. This is the cup of the covenant poured out for the forgiveness of many. Jesus offers a full pardon for anyone who comes to him. I wonder if your heart is stirred as I share that. You were made to hear those words. Those are the words of life. Those are the words that change us from death into life. The moment that we receive that, the moment we say, I'm a sinner, Jesus died in my place. We receive eternal life now and eternal life the very moment we close our eyes in death. Have you received that good news? Is your heart stirred by this amazing, surprising Savior? Jesus offers a full pardon to anyone who comes to him. And so with that, we are going to transition into remembering Jesus by taking communion together. You remember what he said the day before, where he said the bread was his body, where he said the cup was his, his blood poured out. And so in a moment, I'm going to give you a few minutes to take all this in and just to reflect on the suffering, the surprising suffering of Jesus in order to pardon you and to pardon me. And you'll be able to find communion supplies nearby you. There are little baskets on the floor and on the chairs. And if you're needing a gluten-free option, please choose an hourglass-shaped cup. If you don't need gluten-free, please don't grab one of the hourglass cups. Uh, Thank you. And please uh, wait to take this. I'm going to lead us, and we're going to take it together. So I'll just give a few minutes, and I'll give you a heads up when I'm about to come up, and then we'll take it together.
give you one more moment. Please take your bread in hand. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. Let us eat together. Please prepare your cup in hand. And Jesus took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Let's drink together. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks split. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who also was a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him, and Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen and shroud and laid it in his own tomb, which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. <laughs> 